Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Good evening. In a week of surprises, we begin with yet another surprise. President Trump has invited Vladimir Putin to Washington three days into the cleanup after Helsinki plans for round two. It wasn't just a surprise to the press. It was also a surprise to a guy whose job it is to never be surprised. Dan Coates, the director of national intelligence, he found out on a stage in Aspen while being interviewed by Andrea Mitchell of NBC. We have some breaking news. The White House has announced on Twitter that Vladimir Putin is coming to the White House in the fall. Say that again. (laughs) (laughs) You, Vladimir Putin coming to the... Did I hear you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be special. (laughs) Director Coach was not told of the decision to invite Putin to Washington this fall, nor does he, by his own admission, know what went on in Helsinki in that one-on-one meeting with President Trump and Vladimir Putin, nor, of course, do we. We'll talk about that tonight, as well as new claims the president is making about how tough he is on the Russians. And there's yet more breaking news, even as these new summit plans were rolling out and even as questions were being asked about whether this rewards Vladimir Putin for bad behavior, the Justice Department issued a dire warning about bad behavior by Russia and others. Ongoing bad behavior, a threat unfolding as we speak. Word of it came at the Aspen Security Forum, the same place where DNI Coates was surprised to learn of the Putin invite. Our chief national security correspondent, Jim Shudo, is there for us right now. So you were in the room when Coates found out about the Putin invite. Talk more about how this un- uh, unfolded today. Well, listen, and I'll tell you, it's remarkable there because clearly, as he was told there by Andrea Mitchell, it was clear he did not know. That was the first that he was hearing of it. Uh, but he also then laughed it off a little bit uh, in a way which indicated that this is not the first time he's been surprised. Right. Uh, normally, you would expect uh, the nation's senior most intelligence official to not be made aware of or, more importantly, be consulted on by the White House sitting down with the, the leader of an, a, a foreign, a hostile nation, as, as the many revelations about Russia's interference in U.S. politics have shown this week. Uh, normally, they'd be consulted as well. But he, he was not. And, and I think the humor there is, is something of a, a protective mode that you'll, you'll see. Uh, many U.S. officials in this administration wrap themselves in a bit because they've been here before. Uh, the, the nature of the way Donald Trump does business. Uh, but again, something he takes very seriously because in the rest of his commentary uh, this afternoon, Anderson, I will say, he made it very clear that he views Russia as a very dangerous adversary and one that is continuing to attack U.S. democracy. How how unusual is it that that he coach acknowledged uh, a that he acknowledged it and b just the fact that that he doesn't know what went on between President Putin and, and President Trump in that one on one meeting? Well, I'll tell you, that was one of the more I mean, it, it, hard to pick the most remarkable moment, but but yet another one, because here again, senior intelligence official who you would expect to be consulted uh, debriefed by the president afterwards as to what Vladimir Putin told him, what they agreed to. But he said, point blank, I don't know what happened in that meeting. Listen to how he laid that out. I don't know what happened in that meeting. Um, I think uh, as time goes by, and the president has already mentioned some things that happened in that meeting, I think we will learn more. But that is the president's prerogative. Um, uh, If he had asked me uh, how that ought to uh, be conducted, I would have suggested a different way. But that's not my role. That's not my job. So um, uh, it is what it is. 
So there you have it, uh, again, saying that he would have recommended to the president that he not meet one-on-one with no one else present. And yet, in the same conversation, he learns that the president's going to do it again. He's inviting Vladimir Putin here to this country uh, to meet with him. We don't know yet if that will be, again, a one-on-one meeting with no one else present except translators. But in the face of all this that we've learned about Russia's continuing interference, uh, the president seeming to tune it out and saying he wants to meet with the leader of this hostile power once again and give him that invitation, which is something of a, of a win for Putin. And, and he said he would continue to stay on in the job. He did. He was asked, as a lot of officials, Chris Ray was asked this question. Uh, Secretary Nielsen was asked this question. Were there moments when they felt so upset by decisions by the president uh, or not being consulted by the president uh, that they would uh, that they would resign? Dan Coats asked the same. His answer to that question was very interesting. He said something along the lines of that's not something that I would share publicly. So he did not say, no, I never thought about it. Uh, But he did say, Uh, Listen, that as long as I feel that I can uh, seek the truth and speak the truth, that he will stay in this job. And and clearly we were hearing him in that meeting there being willing to speak the truth. Uh, He says he does so to the president. And here he was doing it to the American public as well. Mm -hmm. Jim Trudeau, thanks very much. More now on the genesis of Summit 2.0. CNN's Jeff Zeleny is at the White House tonight with more on that. So this invitation by the president to Putin, clearly a sign he's doubling down, not acknowledging any kind of a mistake at Helsinki, no surprise there. Do we have any idea of what went into it or when Putin would come? Are we talking about right before the midterm elections or after the midterm elections? Anderson, all great questions. We got the sense here this was happening very fast. I mean, it was more of a doubling down, no doubt about it. We've seen President Trump again and again. If he's being criticized for something, he leans into it and owns it. So it's more of a doubling down by saying that this meeting went fine, he wants another one. Much more of that than a do-over. There's no sense that a do-over would be any different, perhaps. I mean, he has spent the last three days, you know, sort of cleaning up and clarifying statements he made, still not making clear this thing, look, I did not you know, speak forcefully enough to Vladimir Putin, but there was a sense today, I'm told, the White House, uh, the president himself asked John Bolton, the national security advisor, to issue that invitation to Vladimir Putin. So that happened uh, midday. Obviously, one person uh, not told about that, one of many people not told about that, was the, uh, the intel chief, uh, Dan Coates. So the invitation w- just went out today, or was this something that was discussed on that one-on-one meeting? Do we know? Well, that is a great question. We do not know what was discussed in the one-on-one meeting. And that was perhaps the most revealing uh, part about that Dan Coates interview of all, saying he still does not know. We've talked to other officials who do not know what President Trump and President Putin talked about for more than two hours there in Helsinki. So it was clear, uh, you know, perhaps they discussed another meeting. That would be something that you would do after one meeting, saying, hey, I'll see you again. But it was clear that uh, that was at least something that the president wanted John Bolton to invite him today. Uh, clearly, Anderson, talking to a variety of people, the president has gotten a lot of blowback, but they are doubling down on this and making clear that, uh, yes, he may have made a few small mistakes, but he still wants to reset that relationship. But the timing of this, Anderson, so interesting. Well, Inviting Vladimir Putin here you know, in the fall, all the timing was was the fall. Before the midterms, after the midterms, we don't know. But boy. Well, you also the question is, does he have confidence in his director of national intelligence, Dan Coates? Dan Coates acknowledged uh, President Trump didn't consult with him in advance about any suggestions Coates might have before he met one on one with Vladimir Putin. Uh, you would think you would consult with as many intelligence people as possible, particularly the people who are the people you've appointed and who are running, uh, uh, you know, important positions. Um, and also it was Dan Coates who the press the president referenced in that press conference with Vladimir Putin, where he said, you know, Coates came in, told me about the meddling. I can tell you, you know, Putin was uh, was very powerful. He denies it. Uh, you know, I don't I don't see why they would have. I mean, Dan Coates clearly said, look, I'm taking a stand. So uh, one thing I heard from a variety of people after that really extraordinary interview, is he trying to get fired or does he not care if he gets fired? We don't know the answer to that. And we also don't know what the president thought of that interview. Right. But, uh, you know, as we've always seen from the president, he reacts to news coverage of events. So it was clear that uh, I do expect some type of a reaction from the president to this, if he supports him or not. But the, uh, you know, the sheer reality of this here is that Dan Coates clearly was doing something we have not heard from really any other top administration official that I can think of, with the exception maybe of former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, for just speaking his mind. Well, so also we'll see what of a, comes of that. In front of an audience that's laughing and essentially laughing 
and on television. At the president. I mean, that's basically what the butt of the joke was, like, oh, that's going to be special and that he didn't know about it. And anyway, we'll see. Jeff Delaney, thanks. More now on many things, including the troubling notion that key members of the president's own national security team were kept in the dark about all of this. Two men who know a lot. Joining us now is former CIA and NSA director Michael Hayden, author of The Assault on Intelligence, American National Security in an Age of Lies. And with us by phone, former director of national intelligence, James Clapper. He's the author of Facts and Fears, Hard Truths from a Life in Intelligence. General Hayden, does an invite to Putin to the White House make sense to you in the fall, whether it's before the midterms or after the midterms? I mean, you know, based on how the last meeting seemed to have gone? As a matter of policy, no. Uh, but a- actually, th- there is a rationale uh, there, Anderson. We have a-, a phrase out at Langley, which is to live the cover story. Hmm. And-, and the cover story for the president was is that he was strong, that that he was effective, that it was a successful meeting. Now, he may be the only one in the national capital area who is saying that, but that's his story, and he's sticking to it. And he's messaging that that's his story by saying, I'm going to go do it again. Living his cover. I mean, fascinating. Director Clapper, I mean, given the warnings from from the Justice Department about ongoing attacks from Russia, what message does it send to Putin that the president's inviting him to the White House regardless of that? Well, uh, to me, it seems that this is uh, something of a reward for bad behavior. Uh, I wasn't real wild about having the first summit. uh, Just for that reason. I mean, what, what has Putin or Russia done lately that would merit a summit with the president of the United States. And now, of course, the typical uh, pattern of our president is to double down on that. And uh, so I personally don't think it's a real good idea, but I agree with Mike about uh, uh, the rationale for it. And General Clapper, when you hear uh, the man who now has the job that you held, DNI, Director of National Intelligence, say that you know the president didn't consult with him in advance about the meeting with Putin and doesn't know what occurred in that meeting still... Does that surprise you? I mean, just is that the is it I would have thought, you know, the president would come out of that meeting with Putin and there'd be a quick debrief with his top intelligence officials or his top staff. And that might at least get disseminated to DNI codes, if not directly. Yeah, that's uh, certainly uh, the conventional uh, manner in which these things are, are done, where first the national security team would be a part of the decision making process to have a summit. And, you know, work out the details for the agenda and the objectives and the deliverables and all that sort of thing. Well, as we have uh, come to know is, uh, with this president, who's not, not conventional and very unorthodox. So, no, it doesn't surprise me that uh, everyone on his team is in the dark. General Hayden, I suppose, you know, in terms of the whole idea of living, living the cover, I mean, perhaps the president is just putting this out there as a doubling down kind of to show a brave face, perhaps they're not actually going to go through with having Vladimir Putin come, you know, whether it's before or, or after. I mean, sometime in the fall, the midterm elections, which, according to the intelligence officials, you know, Russia is trying to be involved with. Yeah. So so my instincts are, no, once it's out there, once the invitation is made, uh, walking it back carries its own second and third order effects that e- even I might not um, mm. want the United States or have the relationship suffer. So I, I, I do think this is going to go on. And, and Anderson, can I just add a thought to what Jim yeah, said there earlier? Uh, in addition to, to Director Coates not knowing what happened at the meeting, there isn't a great deal of evidence that the American intelligence community and Director Coates was much involved in the preparation for the meeting. Let me tell you a question that the president really needs to ask. Dan, what is it your folks are saying that Putin's going to bring up to me in this meeting? And so that the president can be prepared for the things that Putin's going to surface in addition to the things that he might want to surface. So what, what are the things that Putin wants to get out of this meeting, which is obviously the kind of thing you'd want to know before you go into a meeting. Yeah, so that you're not surprised. I mean, we're already living with the second and third order effects of this kind of swap of witnesses with regard to the Mueller investigation and Ambassador uh, Mike McFaul. Perhaps the president wouldn't have said this is such a fascinating, interesting idea if he had expected the president of the Russian Federation to bring it up to him and he'd already prepared for himself in his own mind how to push back against what is a patently very bad idea. 
Right, which now Director Clapper, I mean, the White House has, you know, said, oh, oh, actually, the president doesn't think that's a good idea, despite what he said on the stage. Uh, and we all heard, you know, for, for our, ourselves. Um, what do you think would be the reaction within the intelligence community, Director Clapper, about this new invitation? And what does the intelligence community do in anticipation of it? I mean, what do you I, I mean, I, if the president is going to ask for I mean, I, I don't know if the president is going to ask his intelligence community to do anything in anticipation of it, but what would they do in a normal time? Well, exactly what Mike suggested. Uh, and it had that happened with this uh, first summit, uh, the President Trump might, might have reacted uh, in, a, in a better way than he did to this, uh, what he characterized as a, you know, a, a wonderful suggestion. Uh, to exchange witnesses, which is, uh, and particularly make available a former ambassador, which is completely absurd. Uh, had there been preparation for this, uh, you know, that might not have happened. So hopefully, uh, you know, hope springs eternal. Uh, there'll be a, a lesson learned here, and this time uh, there will be some some uh, preparation for uh, what might be on, on Putin's agenda. Director Clapper, we've seen the president say over and over again that, that it could have been Russia who interfered in the election, but it could have been someone else, too, that there's a lot of people out there. You were one of the four people who actually briefed the president about this, telling him that it was Russia. To the extent you can, can you explain what you told the president and how he reacted when you told him? Well, uh, I can't go into a lot of detail uh, about that. And uh, I might just a sidebar mention the New York Times article today. Uh, which was not uh, uh, entirely accurate. I'm not going to go into details about what was or wasn't accurate, but that's kind of an example of that. But I, what I would cite are two, the two indictments issued by Special uh, Counsel Mueller, the one in February involving the uh, Internet Research Agency, and, specific, and particularly the more recent one indicting the 12 GRU officers. And if you read those two together, particularly the last one, you get some insight into the level of detail we had and why we had such high confidence in our findings that we included in the Intelligence Committee assessment, which we briefed then-President-elect Trump on the 6th of January 2017. Uh, you know, he took it pretty well. It was generally a, a professional exchange, uh, although immediately uh, wanted, wanted to, to write a press release saying that the Russian interference had no uh, uh, impact on the outcome of the election, which we didn't say anything about in our assessment. So uh, I can assure you that we did provide substantiating evidence, uh, that some of which was highly classified, but I'm not going to go into right. the details about it. Well, I mean, just the fact that you're, you're referencing what we've now learned uh, from the Mueller investigation from the indictments, it tells you that there, there was a high level of detail even as far back as then that you were able to, to brief him on. And obviously you can't go into details. Uh, General Clapper, thank you. General Hayden as well. Coming up next, we're going to dig deeper into the why in all this and why it's troubling to so many people. But first, a closer look at how the president's decisions and statements have been raising concerns in Washington. And later, why people who know intelligence operations and know how the Russians recruit and run agents are so worried now about the man who sits in the Oval Office. We'll go there with expert advice tonight on 360. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenny today at zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. We're talking tonight about a major national security and foreign policy decision that came as news to a major national security and foreign policy player. I just want to show you the moment again. Director of National Intelligence Dan Coates taken aback at today's summit news. We have some breaking news. The White House has announced on Twitter that Vladimir Putin is coming to the White House in the fall. Say that again. <laughs> you, Vladimir Putin, coming to the... Did I hear the, you? Did I hear you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
That's going to be special. (laughs) (laughs) So people laugh, but when you think about it, it's not really much of a laughing matter. It says something about how decisions are made at the White House. With us to talk about it, CNN Chief Political Analyst Gloria Borger, former House Intelligence Chairman Mike Rogers, now a CNN commentator. Also Matthew Rosenberg, National Security Correspondent for The New York Times, International Security Analyst. Chairman Rogers, I mean, you have the invitation being extended on the same day, or at least us learning about it on the same day that Director Coates, uh, we learn, wasn't informed of the invite and doesn't know what happened in, in the private meeting with President Trump and Vladimir Putin. Should that be cause for concern? Well, absolutely. I think Putin is getting exactly what he wants. I mean, he set up the conditions for the meeting. He got uh, Trump to agree to to meet alone, by the way. Trump said he didn't want leaks, but he met alone, which means there wasn't a lot of uh, uh, prepared staff people around the table to try to deal with thorny issues. Uh, And then subsequent to the meeting, he began his campaign to to try to set the table for the next one. So think about it, about $100 billion in U.S. debt, Treasury bonds that Russia has dumped since May, about $100 billion. Uh, After the meeting, he starts uh, broadcasting about how his military prowess and technology exceeds, in in an implied way, the United States of America, which does two things, tells folks who are thinking whose team uh, should they be on, sends a clear message that Russia might want to be in that list as well as people who want to buy new military hardware. Uh, and this, all of this serves Putin's interests. And that's what's so frustrating to me. If you go into a meeting like this without an agenda, uh, Anderson, I guarantee you that Putin is prepared. Everything that happens in that meeting was prepared. And Trump, I think, was reacting to all of it, which is why I think he got himself in so much trouble. Yeah, and Gloria, and seemingly reacting in the moment. I mean, he did seem sort of surprised by you know, Putin's ridiculous offer of, right. uh, you know, having the Mueller team go over there if, if Russian intelligence agents can come over here and, and you know, uh, interrogate, or, uh, you know, uh, American citizens. Yeah, look, Trump got played completely, 100 percent. And, you know, I think what we're seeing today is his reaction to uh, Washington reacting to that by by inviting Putin, you know, to come back here, he's throwing a tantrum and he's saying, look, OK, guys, um, he's up against the wall. He got criticized. He doesn't like that. You know, he had to admit that he made a mistake, that he misspoke. He had to change his opinion on that incredible offer that you're just talking about. And so I think what we're seeing is Donald Trump saying, OK, guys, I'm going to throw this into chaos again. I set the agenda. Nobody else in my administration. And I'm going to I'm just going to I'm going to do this and I'm going to show you who's in charge. I mean, it's just such a Trump tantrum where we're witnessing. And unfortunately, uh, it's dangerous. Matthew, I mean, you were reporting that the two weeks before the inauguration, the president was shown classified intelligence that Putin personally ordered the cyber attacks, of the 2016 election. We just heard Director Clapper talk about that. How do you reconcile that with what we have seen this week, the comments being made by the president. I mean, look, Trump knows what has convinced every other intelligence official and other officials in the U.S. government that the Russians tried to interfere in the election, that they were looking to support him. Trump knows what they know as well. Well, it seems like, by the way, the Homeland Security Secretary doesn't believe that because she's now said she's not convinced it was in order to throw it for for Trump, even though Vladimir Putin said at the press conference he wanted Trump to win. I mean, then she walked that back a little bit. This has been a whole week of walkbacks for seemingly half the administration. Look, the president seems to to react to what suits his political needs or what he thinks they are in the moment. So sitting next to Vladimir Putin, you know, maybe he didn't do it. Um, Get back to Washington, there's an outcry. Okay, I I think he did it. And it's hard to tell at any given moment what exactly he believes on this. Um, You know, I also do wonder, you know, what what. What do you think we're gaining from all this? Russia is a country with a far smaller economy. I mean, there are three U.S. states that have bigger economies than Russia. Its population is in decline. This is not an equal global power. These are not the days of the Cold War. So this kind of like I've got to have Vladimir back for a second one is just it's 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 bewildering. It also looks like Trump is now dealing with, with an entire administration. I mean, most people in his government who don't think Helsinki was a success. So he's going to double down and say, I'm building on my successes. Yeah, Chairman, I mean, it's an interesting point that, that, that Matthew raises, which is what does President Trump think he is getting out of all this? Obviously, we don't know. Uh, you know, there's plenty of nefarious explanations uh, that, that, that people may have. But just, it, it, you know, on a purely geopolitical 
uh, U.S. foreign policy stance, um, you know, Russia is not powerful. It, the, the president repeatedly focuses on how powerful Vladimir Putin is as a person, as a personality, as a leader, and has clearly been kind of fanboying over Vladimir Putin for a long time, going back to the Miss Universe pageant, saying, tweeting out, you know, gosh, I wonder if we're going to become best friends. Um, what do you think the president thinks he's getting out of this? Yeah, can I just disagree with one thing? I yeah. mean, Russia is not powerful economically, absolutely true. Yes, they have a demographic problem that within 25 years they're going to have real problems. But they are a very dangerous country. Why? They have really good technical capability in cyber warfare and cyber information warfare operations, of which, candidly, we're right in the middle of another one. And I think it's going uh, Russia's way. Uh, they also have they are a nuclear armed country and they have good special forces and intelligence services of which they're willing to export where they can to influence parts of the world. Syria is a great example. Ukraine, another one. They talked about sending troops to Arctic. So I would be careful about saying, yes, they're not economic. Well, you know, we shouldn't pay attention mm-hmm. to them. They're just dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and acting the, the way that they are causes those of us in the national security space a lot of concern because you, if we don't check that, uh, Vladimir Putin is going to continue to do it because it's, he's not even talking to us anymore, Anderson, us being the United States. He's talking to other adversaries. He's talking to people he wants to be allies of Russia. He's moved beyond the summit, uh, the Helsinki summit. And as he told his ambassadors, I think it was this morning, guess what? They're in turmoil in the United States. They're in <laughs> political turmoil. So let them deal with that. Oh, by the way, we have friends and allies we need to recruit around the world. That's but, but, what I but, worry about. And I don't think Trump actually sees right. that because he doesn't prepare. He's afraid to take a staff person in the room. They might leak what he said. I agree with That's everything. That's a dangerous I, place to be. I agree with everything you said, but, but not the president doesn't seem to agree with everything you just said because uh, one of your re- explanations for why Russia should be paid attention to and dealt with and focused on is because of their cyber capabilities. It is clearly it is not clear that the president really believes Russia was behind the attack because even in reading a prepared statement, he then ad libs, well, it could have been other people as well. There's a lot of people out there. Listen, you hug Vladimir Putin, you're going to get a knife in the back. And that's what worries me. He does. I think he honestly believes, Trump honestly believes, if he develops this relationship, he can tone down uh, some of the other problems with Russia. The problem is that's not the way Vladimir Putin thinks. He is a trained KGB officer. He sees that as a weakness, and they are trained to exploit those weaknesses, which is why you saw the very press conference coming out of the ambassadors meeting that you saw today because he was sending a message to his ambassadors to the rest of the world the heck with the united states send this message to the rest of the world he's thumping his chest in a very diplomatic way to try to gain advantage and influence in places we probably don't want them to have and and you know that's one of maybe that's one of the reasons trump has invited him back to show that you know i can thump my chest too and, uh, you know, they're laughing at me here, but I'm going to I'm going to end up being on top. I, I think Trump regards this in many ways as sort of a real estate negotiation. Only it isn't. And only Vladimir Putin knew exactly what his agenda was going to be. And Donald Trump did not have an agenda. As a result, when Moscow comes out of this summit, they're setting the agenda. They're 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 announcing what they got. And nobody in this country knows what Donald Trump said uh, or did, and members of Congress now have to decide, okay, are they going to trust the people in the administration yeah. who disagree with Trump, or are they going to listen to the president? Matt, do people you talk to have a, a, a theory on why the president just doesn't seem to believe the, the Russian attack? I mean, it, it ranges um, from, you know, the obvious theories about compromise, which, you know, to this day we have no clear-cut evidence of, Two, you know, very plausible theories that the president still thinks, and he's told aides this, um, or signaled this to aides, aides believe he thinks, that any kind of suggestion that this election was interfered with by the Russians would throw his victory into question, right. question the legitimacy of his presidency, and he, he just can't do it. Yeah. He won't do it. So even if they're not talking about whether it swayed the election, just the mere fact it exists is too much. Yeah. And, you know... That's what we got. Yeah, Matt Rosenberg, uh, Mike Rogers, Gloria Borger, thanks. Uh, the, the question that continues to loom over all this, of course, is why. Why is the president deferential to the man who, according to U.S. intelligence agencies, directed attacks against America's democracy? We'll talk to Steve Hall, former Moscow station chief for the CIA. He tweeted this from a counterintelligence perspective. Something is going on behind the scenes. Before Helsinki, I was less sure. Post-Helsinki, I feel sick. 
Steve Hall and his former CIA colleague Rolf Moet Larsen join me next. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com slash CNN. It's day three of the fallout from the Helsinki summit. The questions still keep coming and coming about exactly what went on behind closed doors between Trump and Putin. Of course, one outcome we do know is that possible visit to Washington by the Russian president that we learned about today. But almost everything else, that's a mystery. So we showed you before the break. Here's what former CIA uh, chief of Russia operations Steve Hall posted yesterday on Twitter. He said, from a counterintelligence perspective, something is going on behind the scenes. Before Helsinki, I was less sure. Post Helsinki, I feel sick. Steve Hall joins me now, along with Rolf Moet Larsen, like Steve, a former CIA officer who also uh, spent a good deal of time in Moscow. Steve, uh, you choose your words carefully. What makes you feel sick? You know, before the Helsinki summit, uh, you know, I was not prepared to go to the darkest corner in the room and say, you know, there's there is compromise. There is compromising information on Donald Trump. But then after I saw him together with Vladimir Putin, uh, you know, the murder of the person who has done, you know, the standard litany of things that we're now all familiar with. And I saw Donald Trump treat him in a fashion that he that that is just inexplicable. The only conclusion that I can come to is, uh, and I would disagree with one of your former guests, I think there is information and data out there that that implies that there is indeed compromising information that Vladimir Putin has on Donald Trump. Look, why else would he treat him this way? Donald Trump has been pretty tough with the Chinese. There's There's an impending trade war. He's been pretty tough with Rocket Man when they were comparing the size of their buttons. So it's not as though Donald Trump has any problem being tough with people. The question is, why, be, why not be tough with a guy like Vladimir Putin? And the only explanation that I can have is, is that he is concerned that the compromising information that, that Putin has on him will get out because everybody else he treats very, very differently. That's kind of what sickens me. Rolf, do, do you have that sense of sickness as well? Uh, I, I would say that I agree with Steve's description of the symptoms, uh, but I'm not sure I understand the cause. In other words, I'm not prepared to go there in terms of saying that the president is influenced directly by any compromising material the Russians have. But I, what I would add to Steve's commentary is that, it, in a way, it doesn't matter. The fact is that we cannot proceed with any realistic expectation that we can prove relations with the Russians if the president is not prepared to take a hard line with Vladimir Putin. I mean, his entire national security community is essentially in opposition to him and, and, and waging this, this really uh, horrible struggle to watch to, to, to both support the president, who they serve, as well as their conviction that we need to confront the Russians. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the decades of history between the U.S. and Russia and the Cold war to today. I don't think there's ever been a period where we've been able to achieve any progress in relations, except when we've been tough with one another. We have to remember that when President Ronald Reagan confronted the Russians uh, in the beginning, it was from the approach of Russia, Soviet Union representing an evil empire. That, in fact, was a necessary precondition for the progress that was made with President Gorbachev after that, uh, the hard line faded into the relationship that they were able to afford. So I think if President Trump believes that he can develop a friendship with Putin that's, that's based not on reality, as his intelligence community and law enforcement community and policy community sees it, he's not only deluding himself, he, President Putin will not respect him for it. Steve, it does seem like... I mean, everything about the Russians, has, people have always said, is, you know, it's you, you come at them from a position of strength. They respect strength. I, I just kept wondering what is going through, and it's impossible to know, but what is going through Vladimir Putin's mind when he's standing on that stage, listening to the president kind of go through all his greatest hits of all the things Vladimir Putin has no doubt read transcripts of the president saying before about his election victory and no collusion and all these things. It's it's. I mean, the president is not a great poker player. He seems to give away everything that is actually in his head. Sure. Undoubtedly a very weak performance. And I would agree with Rolf that, you know, there's no reason not to not to go at the Russians tough. And then the question again rises, well, then why isn't he doing that? And to, to get to Rolf's other question that, that many have asked, well, so what is this compromise? What is this information? You know, the, the salacious tapes, all of that stuff, I don't think that that concerns Trump. I don't think that concerns his base. But go back and look at the finances. 
Donald Trump has been doing business and his organization has been doing business by his son's own admission. And if you go back and look at the records for years, what is the most important thing for Donald Trump? Not being a rich man. It's the ego satisfaction. It's being the tycoon. It's being the biggest, best deal maker of all. And to, to, to have somebody like Vladimir Putin who can say, you know what, guess who was behind that? Guess who bailed you out? Guess who helped you out via Deutsche Bank and other mechanisms when you were really having trouble? That was the Russians. That's what they hold over him. That is Donald Trump's vulnerability. And that is why he is not being tough with the Russians. Rolf, two just quick things. One, when the president says nobody's been tougher on Russia than he has, his supporters point to uh, you know, there were uh, some Russian mercenaries were killed in, in a battle in, in Syria by U.S. forces, the bombing of an airfield in Syria, um, uh, you know, uh, supplying weapons to, to Ukraine. A, do you buy that, that nobody's been tougher on Russia than, than Donald Trump? And also, the, the, you know, I mentioned at the top of the program, the Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein today said that the attacks from Russia are persistent, pervasive, and, and ongoing, meant to undermine America's democracy. Um, how serious do you take that warning? I have to come to the reluctant conclusion that the president is either delusional in ignoring all the advice he's getting from his key advisors about what the Russians are really doing, continually casting renewed doubts, and then trying to, in a way, convince himself that he's being tough by making these statements that he's the toughest president, when that is just so patently ridiculous, frankly. I don't, I don't want to sound disrespectful. But I think that raises a, another key question. When you watch the summit, the, the contrast between President Trump and Putin could not have been clearer. President Putin also adopted an unusual, uh, I would say, p- approach or demeanor in which he became very bitter. Many of his comments were very bitter. He, he offered these two ridiculous proposals that he had to understand were completely unacceptable to the entire U.S. national security establishment in calling for the Mueller investigation to be interviewed in Russia. It's a slap in the face of the Mueller investigation. The only person that would appeal to in the United States, the only person I could think of is the president himself. Yeah. And it did appeal to him, and the president seemed to, you know, said on the stage, frankly, that it was a... He said it was incredible. He yeah. said it was a great idea. Right. Twice he referred to that. Uh, Rolf That's Mowat. absolutely incredible. Yeah. Rolf Mowat, uh, uh, Larson, Steve Hall, thank you so much. Really fascinating. Thank you, Anderson. New polling about how President Trump fared in the wake of the Helsinki summit. We'll tell you the results when we continue. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved, and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. New polling from CBS News and American Attitudes about how President Trump handled himself at the Helsinki summit. Overall, 55 percent disapproved the way things went. 32 percent approved. Not at all surprising. There's a sharp divide between Democrats and Republicans. Only 8 percent of Democrats approved. Republicans, meantime, approved by a 68 percent margin. Joining me now are three Republicans for their point of view. Steve Cortez, Tara Setmayer and Mike Shields. Tara, uh, does the, does, do these numbers surprise you at all? I mean, we've been hearing all week from both sides of the aisle. Uh, condemning the president's comments this week to, to, to greater or lesser degrees. Well, the Republican support doesn't necessarily surprise me, but it alarms me. Um, we, the, the fact that the Republican Party, in such a large majority, would look at what took place on Monday and think that that performance by President Trump basically cozying up and siding with an enemy of this country, a murderous dictator, over our U.S. intelligence community is really, really disturbing. What a 180. Only a couple of years ago, the Republicans were up in arms, rightfully, over Barack Obama's handling of Russian relations. The, you know, whisper to to uh, Medvedev about tell Vladimir that I'll have more flexibility after the election and things like that. I mean, Ronald Reagan tear down this wall, the evil empire. Republicans were very hawkish on Russia policy. And now, since Donald Trump has been on the scene, he's repeatedly softened the Republican position on Russia. And it obviously is reflecting in polls like this, where Republicans look at this and think that what he did was okay. That should alarm everyone, because what he did was not okay. It was abhorrent. Mike, the, the poll also found that just more than half of Republicans say they believe U.S. intelligence that Russia meddled in the election. What does that say about the belief in the institutions that were set up to protect us? I mean, has there has the president's 
efforts to, to you know, undercut their credibility succeeded? Well, I mean, you're ascribing that to the president. I think that they've also harmed themselves with some of the way that people have acted, James Comey and others, and looking how partisan they are. There's been a lot of people doing a huge disservice to our intelligence communities and undermining their credibility amongst Republicans. And certainly the president is playing on that and helping it. But he's not the only one, and they're certainly responsible themselves for some of this. And look, I mean, the other thing that I'd say about this poll is, uh, you know, Tara, outside of Republicans in Washington, where some of them spoke out, you're talking about literally millions and millions of Americans. And one of the things that happens when something like this goes on is they see the president, Republicans, and we're talking, I'm talking about grassroots uh, Americans out across the country. They see wall-to-wall coverage of the president being attacked, and they immediately just come to his defense and say, you know what, I don't believe this. It looks like a lot of noise. I, I, I'm, I'm going to back him up if a pollster calls me. You know what, I agree with, the, I agree with how the president handled this because they just think he's being attacked. And so there, we've, we've lost the ability to analyze a, a summit like this and have a, a conversation about it without people just going into their corners. And, and this poll is reflective of that. Well, I think it's reflective of groupthink. You're justifying groupthink, whether it's uninformed or not. No, but Tara, groupthink is different. Groupthink is something in like an office when you have a group of people. When you're talking, Or 60, millions of people who just follow something well, that Trump says repeatedly million, over and over again, whether it's true or not. I, Tara, I just think that that's an unfortunate dismissal of too many Americans to say it's groupthink as if they're stupid and, they're, and they don't, their interests don't matter. Right. 63 million po- Americans voted point, for President Trump. Hang yeah, on. I tried that they for a voted, long time. But when you look at what the president did, he took the side of a murderous dictator, no, enemy of this country. No, but that's country. not my point, Tara. I know, but the, but the American point. people seem then, the my, people my, you're talking about, can't Tara, separate not, the what, difference. Steve, Mike, Mike is making the point that, that the, the, the pushback from people who are you know, going into their corners, uh, they saw the media uh, reacting, even people on Fox News reacting the way they did. Uh, and they're right. saying that to pollsters, look, I'm supporting this guy. This is just that, you know, yeah, that no matter what uh, th- that attack. They against think the he's pr- being president. attacked. Right. And they didn't well, watch the listen, news conference. They weren't they weren't all glued to their television. They're at work. And right. then they see the coverage and they go, oh, he's being attacked for uh, this. Anderson, he probably did uh, something uh, right Steve, and they don't like it. Steve, well, that's why he attacked Steve, the media. Go ahead. I, I, I'm about as fervent a Trump supporter as you can find. Uh, and I wrote an article on Real Clear Politics saying that I thought that his press conference was disastrous. I really did. Uh, and I'm glad that he corrected and clarified himself. But the point is, he did. Uh, and I think you bring up an, a very important, what is being brought up here is a very important point that he didn't side with Russia. I don't know when it became unpatriotic to view our intelligence uh, services uh, conclusions with skepticism. If George W. Bush had viewed the intelligence community's analysis with skepticism, we would have thousands more Americans alive today. We would have trillions of dollars more of American taxpayer money. I I don't know if you believe the would-wouldn't excuse, but I mean, during that press conference, he certainly did seem to take Vladimir Putin's side in the idea that, well, Putin's so powerful in his, his response saying he didn't do it. Uh, I don't know why you would have done it. And right. you don't criticize right. our Anderson, intelligence let, let, on foreign soil. Tara, can I have a minute? Let's do Can I have a minute? All right. Listen, I, I agree. Again, I just said, and I, and I wrote about this publicly right afterward. Uh, I, I agree. That was a poor performance because he seemed to give uh, a moral equivalence. You know, on one side, we have American intelligence. On the other side, we have Putin and the KGB. And they're not equal. Of course not. They're not on the same moral plane remotely. But my point is, too, and this is important, the idea that we take the word of U.S. intelligence as sacrosanct is, number one, not logical. It's not historical. But also, for President Trump, it's not politically feasible because... We have, unfortunately, and listen, I love the men and women of law enforcement and of our our security agencies who do hard, dangerous work for our country. But the leadership of those agencies, people like McCabe and Strzok and James Clapper, who lied under oath to the American people, and John Brennan, who hacked the Senate's computers, they have proven themselves time and again to be totally unworthy of our trust. Do you believe the Russians meddled in the election? Do you believe the Russians meddled in the election, Steve? Do you believe the Russians meddled in the election? Do you believe that they attacked our electoral system? I, I think the Russians, among many nations, tried to interfere in our elections. Okay. Yes. So, so you, yeah. you're, you're being. You're and I also don't believe they changed a single. And so I also don't, don't believe they changed a single vote. Okay. They didn't change a single vote. And if you That's believe, not what that, I by asked the way, you. this I is just the asked new. You, if you believe okay. whether okay. the Russians. This is the new. This is the birtherism of the left okay. wing. Mike, really Mike, is. Mike, this is your Mike, when when uh, you know Steve is talking about the, the leadership in the intelligence community, you referenced it well. I totally get that perspective. Um, and the president says the same thing, you know, that he's put his own people in. He now has confidence in the intelligence community. But the people who are actually the career intelligence people, the people who are actually 
doing the intercepts, who are the case officers yeah. in the field, who are doing the analysis, they're pretty much the same people who were there in the Obama administration, probably in the George W. Bush administration. They are career intelligence people, and they're the ones making these assessments. It's not, right. you know, right. Comey who's, who's sure. twisting it uh, and handing it no, to the president. Right. No, that's right, but but, but, but unfortunately, but they also get a lot wrong. Let's be honest. No, they of do. course, but, but, of course. I mean, yes. they get a lot wrong. We, right, we but, should but you're never ascribing a, a, you're, you're saying it's the leadership which is anti-Trump, and I'm just saying it's actually the the you know the the core workers in the intelligence community who are doing the work, right. or who are doing right. collecting but this I'm intelligence, saying analyzing it. I, I'm saying you you've had a leadership under President Obama. You had a leadership which was incredibly corrupt and incredibly biased. In addition to that. Separate from that, well, Trump's you also own have, people I, have I, come honestly, to the same conclusion. Trump's own people have come to the same yeah. conclusion. So that's, a, so that's a, a history of them, frankly, just herring. missing a lot and right, being let, and being wrong very, very often. So the president, the president is elected to be in charge of the intelligence community, not the other way around. All right, we they work here. for him. That is certainly true. And, uh, they, and they actually work for the American thing. people. Uh, thanks very much, everyone. Time to check in with Chris Cuomo to see what's ahead for Cuomo Prime Time. Chris, but I was enjoying that. I know you were. <laughs> you cut. I, I love to see you because you are so reasonable and civilized. And I love to see when there's a food fight going around you. I'd love to see inside your head in those moments. But not tonight. Hey, Cortez uh, told me last night that it was the new form of birtherism. Yes, he for mentioned us to, that. He mentioned oh, did he, that. Did he run yeah. that tonight? I was yeah, getting yeah. made up at the time. Yeah. But I'll tell you, it did not. Uh, went over I, like, I've gone to my special place in my head. <laughs> it went over like a Led Zeppelin here on primetime. <laughs> sure. All right, tonight we're going to be talking to Tom Donilon. Uh, he was, of course, the national security advisor to President Obama, uh, perhaps one of the people that Trump folk are now calling corrupt and dirty. How does he see what we had to live through in Helsinki and what this new word of a meeting this fall is all about? We'll talk to him. we got Anthony Scaramucci on, who says he can tell us why Trump is doing what he's doing now, right now with regards to Russia. So we'll see where he takes us. All right, Chris, thanks very much. That's in about seven minutes from now. Uh, new developments linked to Russia tonight, namely about that alleged spy. Details ahead. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Report's The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of, like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And, of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New tonight, free Maria Butina. That's the hashtag campaign that's been launched by Russia's foreign ministry for the alleged Kremlin spy after her arrest in Washington. Russian diplomats have also visited her in the detention center where she's being held until trial. A federal judge agrees she is a flight risk, so she has to stay in custody. Randy Kay tonight tracks her path, which, as you know, once crossed with the Trump campaign. I'm visiting from Russia. My question will be about foreign politics. That's how close this accused Russian spy got to then-candidate Donald Trump in July 2015 at Freedom Fest in Las Vegas. Her name is Maria Butina. I believe I would get along very nicely with Putin. Okay? That same woman now charged with conspiracy and acting as an agent of the Russian government. The 29-year-old graduate student from American University is accused of using sex and deception to cozy up to high-level politicians and steer them toward Moscow's objectives. Prosecutors say she had a personal relationship with a man CNN confirms was Paul Erickson, a Republican political operative nearly twice her age, Butina reportedly describing him as her boyfriend. Prosecutors say she used her own Moscow-based gun group, Right to Bear Arms, to build relationships with the National Rifle Association. I'm a representative of uh, Russian Federation here, uh, and uh, I am a chairman of uh, the Right to Bear Arms. Butina once posed with a pistol, wearing stilettos and leather for this risque Russian GQ magazine shoot. And in 2015 at the NRA convention, she managed to meet Republican presidential candidate Scott Walker. And that's Butina at the 2017 National Prayer Breakfast, once again in the same room as Donald Trump. This gathering is a testament to the power of faith. Butina has pleaded not guilty, and her lawyer insists she's no spy. 
just someone looking to create a better relationship between the two nations. But prosecutors tell a very different story. They say Butina came to this country in 2014, if not earlier, and once offered sex in exchange for a position with a special interest organization. She was issued a student visa in August of 2016. Prosecutors say it was all just a cover. In fact, before she arrived in the U.S., she worked for an unnamed high-level Russian government official who allegedly directed her efforts in the U.S. Also, court filings show Butina and her mentor, Russian banker Alexander Torshin, had once tried to establish back-channel communications between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. In her latest endeavor, documents show Torshin allegedly praised her, writing... You have upstaged Anna Chapman, referring to another Russian sleeper agent. Butina texted him a photo of herself from Donald Trump's inauguration, smiling in front of the U.S. Capitol, and he allegedly wrote back, Daredevil girl. For now, Maria Butina remains behind bars. She's considered a flight risk, given that agents found she'd terminated her lease and packed her bags. Randy Kay, CNN, New York. It's a fascinating story. Before we go, quick reminder, don't miss our new interactive daily newscast on Facebook. You get to uh, pick the stories we cover. You can watch. It's called Full Circle, weeknights at 625 p.m. Eastern. Just go to Facebook.com slash Anderson Cooper Full Circle, all one word. I'll see you there tomorrow at 625 p.m. Also again at uh, 360 at 8 p.m. right here on CNN. The news continues. I'm going to hand it over to Chris and Cuomo Primetime. Chris? Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.